0: This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you
1: get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. So conventionally we do a culture corner and today I thought let us adopt a culture of recognizing the value that members of our society bring when they are differently abled. Uh, Between the 3rd of November and the 3rd of December, internationally, the world observes what they call uh, International Disabilities Awareness Month. I've always been told that the word disabilities itself um, is not very descriptive, and it's discriminatory, and it doesn't really uh, appreciate the value of people who are differently able, So we can't pretend that they have all the faculties of abled bodied people, but in fact, that one thing that doesn't work well in their bodies could actually be the, the tool mechanically within the body that sharpens their senses in a particular way. And so being differently abled might actually be empowering in more ways than we can tell. And so when we say differently abled, who are we talking about? We're talking about Stephen Hawkins, a renowned quantum physicist who had a congenital disease that kept him wheelchair bound all his life. And yet he's made some of the greatest um, contributions to the field of high physics in the world. We're talking Helen Keller a writer and a teacher. We're talking Ray Charles and Stevie Wonder and Beethoven, pianists and composers. We're talking John Preston, a former deputy prime minister of Great Britain, Michael Masuta, a lawyer and a former minister of justice in South Africa. We're talking about Steve Gagana, Hmm. a singer turned legal advocate, Natalie Detoy, a champion swimmer, gold medalist, both an Olympian and a Paralympian, and awarded an MBE by Queen Elizabeth II. We're talking Farida Badwe, a Ghanaian software engineer and a CEO of an IT firm, and also an activist who's living with cerebral palsy. We're talking people who are going to achieve much more in their lives than you and I, who are going to make more meaningful contributions to society than you and I, and yet we look at them as if we want to pity them. And so on the back of this International uh, Disabilities Awareness Month, I thought we should bring together two distinguished South Africans living with uh, a disability, is what you'd call it, who are differently abled, and find out how they have navigated the challenges of this world of able-bodied privilege and still broken ground and been game changers in the society and worldwide. So please welcome Mahiba Mollo, an independent ESG consultant and a commissioner of the National Planning Commission in South Africa. Mahiba, good morning. Good morning, Narato,
0: and thanks for having me on the show.
1: Always a pleasure. And we're also joined by uh, an avid listener of Power Talk, uh, Abutekumotsu Maluleke, who is a training coordinator, and he's been living with cerebral palsy and he's uh, this big manager at Transnet Khomutso, good morning Good morning, how are you? Fine, thank you and it's lovely to have you Thank you very much I'm going to start with Mahiba because um, what people don't know when they're going to listen to you now is you're blind Yep, completely blind Mm -hmm. Okay, and tell us about your life, your career and your contributions please
0: Thanks, Leraton. You know, in your introduction, you said, um, you wanted us to talk about the world of the privileged, those who are able-bodied. And I mean, it's so true that the world is designed for people who do not have disabilities. And so it has been a bit of a struggle getting on in life, having a disability, being blind. I went blind at the age of 10, so I wasn't born as a blind person. So I suppose I'm fortunate in the sense that I am able to be able to tell colour, I uh, understand shapes, I do have an understanding of 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 design of landscape and so on. But from the age of ten, essentially, I've been a blind person, and um, I went blind. I I went blind suddenly. It was due to a, a retinal detachment in both mm. eyes, but at the same time, I had several. Operations over a period of about three years. I wasn't in school actually for for about yeah for for three years.
1: Mm. Mm. Oh, we've lost Machiba Mullo there on the line. Let's see if we can get her back. Listen, I know how scary that is. I had a retinal detachment in 2017. It was caught just in time, but the thought of being of losing your eye and all you think about is how is my life going to change? I'm not prepared for a life where I don't have an eye. It is very, very, very frightening. And so for it to have happened and then to have to relearn living in a sighted world just tells you about the privilege that we're talking about. So tell us about your story. You have cerebral palsy. What is it?
2: Um, Cerebral palsy is a a condition that affects perception of the lower limbs um, within that condition itself there are some um, hidden elements of of the condition that only trained individuals are able to tell that this is linked to to cerebral palsy but i my understanding is that there are degrees within the spectrum of cerebral palsy such that others have got severe conditions some are mild some are so I wouldn't exactly know where where in, not extreme, but whether mild or what, I wouldn't know. What I know is that I've had two uh, surgeries done. One was a club foot in 1993. Then the other was a hamstring release on both my knees in 2001. Mm. The reason for that was that as I was growing, I began to gain balance and I became an active child mm. only to find that, my growth my, my, my muscular growth was not in line with my physical growth mm. so I began to experience severe pain on my knees so i I had to go for an operation wherein they pulled both my my knees on the on on the uh, my muscles on the knees so that they would help with uh, with having a normal growth and not to be eventually subjected to a wheelchair. Okay.
1: So, I... I know what you look like. I know what a cerebral palsy, uh, a person living with cerebral palsy looks like. I just never understood what was happening in the body. But I know this is that it means that your legs are not functioning the way we are used to legs functioning. So what does that mean for you? Because buildings are built in such a way where there's a stairwell here, there's a lift. If there's load shedding, the lift is not working. So you're expecting people to use the lift. And when it comes to somebody like you, do you ever feel considered?
2: Uh, well, things are changing, but they're changing at a the cost. They're changing at an emotional battle at times. That when you, have, when you get into a space, you need to be vocal about the fact that there isn't enough uh, access. You know, we, we always have to battle things out. But as long, at least for me, as long as there's a, a ramp or rails by the stairs, it it makes life a little easier. Perhaps I may also point out that in 2001, when I was meant to undergo physio at paraguanas, it was full. So Mm. I I could not go to school at the time in the hope that there would be a a slot wherein I could go for regular physio. I suppose had I gone for regular physio, that would have had a positive impact Mm. on my mobility than it Mm. does right now because i believe that my position right now is a comfort position that arises from the pain that i had post surgery so Mm. to answer your question as long as there is a ramp or a rail by the stairs Mm. all is well but in cases where there isn't that's where the problem is.
1: Okay, and there's something else you've just raised, and I'm going to go to Mahiba in a moment, is you were waiting for uh, physiotherapy at a public institution at Bara Hospital. Now, we do know Barra Hospital is the largest hospital uh, in the Southern Hemisphere, and they've done groundbreaking work. So so it's so it's a great facility, but it is a public facility. Do you think um, resources also make a, a difference? If you'd been able to access physiotherapy, say, in a private hospital, do you think your, your therapy and your, and your healing would have been faster
2: yes of course it would have been faster because now i i I think that i would have picked up a medically recommended mobility position as opposed to the one that i took myself from a point of view of comfort that when i do this i don't feel as much pain that's when, than when I do what I had to do at the
1: time. Mm. Okay. Mahiba, you're back on the line, and I'm sorry about your line breaking. You were telling us that you were not born blind, you became blind at age 10 with two retinal detachments. But up until age 10, you'd been able to navigate the world like an able bodied person until that suddenly changed for you. So there was a lot of relearning the world. Its Absolutely.
0: its Yeah, they, I mean, it, as I say, because I was a child, I didn't quite understand what was happening to me. And I mean, I just always had it at the back of my mind that my parents would be able to take care of it. Up until, you know, I'd been in and out of hospitals. I'd had several operations. And after about three years, the doctor himself actually recommended that I just have to go back to school. This was uh, Dr. Louis Kruger. He was actually the world's second best uh, eye doctor in the world at the time so i was you know i was actually quite privileged i mean I, i'm listening to homozo's story and i suppose in my case it wasn't a question of resources as such it was just a question of i guess it, it, it was what was meant to be um but then i was yeah i was able to then go back to school Um i went to a mainstream school and i did get a lot of support um, i really did get a lot of support from the girls and um, they would read my books onto tape and they'd walk around the school grounds with me and so on. But it was difficult because uh, the the one thing about being a person with a disability is that even if you look the same, you sound the same, Mm. there are attitudinal barriers. There's Mm. so much ignorance in the world and people are generally uncomfortable to deal with those barriers. They're Mm. not even aware that they are are suffering from a great deal Mm. of ignorance. Mm. So apart from the physical barriers, which are real, um you know i I use a cane, and mm. <laughs> obviously the ground is not always level um if I happen to use a ramp in order to avoid the stairs my my cane is inevitably going to get stuck in those holes oh that gosh. are in the ramps um it's It's all kinds of things, and then you get into an elevator, for example, it might have that annoying voice, but that actually doesn't doesn't really help you as such when you're on the outside of the elevator, yeah. when you're trying to press the buttons on the inside of the elevator if they're not numbered mm-hmm. in braille and so on. Sometimes the hallways are not designed in such a way that it's easy for you to find landmarks as a person walking on your own with a cane. The acoustics aren't right if you also need to rely on the hearing, and, and on, mm-hmm. on your hearing to, to be able to tell that the passageway is coming up, whatever so. And I mean, I, I'm completely blind, so I wonder for people who are partially sighted, lighting is also important and so on. Mm. You know, there's a lot, there's so much that, right. that still needs to be done in terms of universal design mm. for people with disabilities.
1: Okay, so you've said um, quite a few things, Mahiban and I just want to probe a few of them. So you say... Once you just accepted what was meant to be, uh, to use your terminology, um, you just got on with the business of living and you went to a mainstream school, whereas many people would be encouraged to please go to a school for the disabled. And I'm saying that in inverted commas because I don't know why the curriculum and the education system needs to be different. But you went to a mainstream school and in that school, um, a girl's school is what you're saying. The girls would read your books. Some things would then be transcribed into Braille, etc. Um, that's not the experience of most people living with disabilities and, and you do acknowledge that. So was there, did you come from a family without resources? How do you think the story would have ended?
0: Unfortunately, that is the story of many, many people in South Africa and many, many people on the continent. Resources are the thing that can uh, create a buffer for you. I mean, you're still going to have the challenges. There's still going to be attitudinal barriers. There's still going to be physical barriers. It's going to be hard. I mean, stigma is stigma. It doesn't matter whether you mm. come from a background with resources or privilege or not. Um, unfortunately, st- money can't buy away stigma, but it definitely helps to be able to tap into resources. Um, obviously, there's a real buffer there. I mean, as uh, you know, going to a, a a mainstream school and so on did help me then get into a, a mainstream university and 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 ultimately have a, a, a pretty much a fruitful career. And unfortunately, there are just far, far too many of us, people with living in, with disabilities, who have to rely on public support, precisely because they don't have the resources. And unfortunately, public support, as we all know, in this beautiful country is lacking, is severely lacking. And when you are part of uh, a vulnerable group or a minority group mm. of people you just happen to be right at the bottom of the food chain mm. um, and and uh the the accommodations that people with disabilities are rightfully entitled to are, well they're very few and far between um, mm. I mean it's something that we are also trying to to address I mean I'm, I'm part of trying to solve that uh, that 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 problem in in my role but Um, Yeah, it it is very, very difficult. Uh, There are just too many barriers, unfortunately, facing vulnerable people, people with disabilities. And, of course, there's the invisible disability or mental disability as well.
1: And you speak of the most pronounced issue being stigma. In other words, people's prejudice. I see you as a blind person and instinctively I treat you as different. In fact, I even treat you as weak. Why do you think society does that? Is it ignorance or is it just a real kind of a... Crude prejudice.
0: I, I, I think it's crude prejudice, I think it's ignorance, I think it's fear, I think people have their own insecurities, you know, kind of, I don't want to be like that, I don't want to catch that, you know, it might be something you can catch, you might, it might be contagious, I don't, I don't want to be like that, I don't, I don't want to be part of the minority, I don't want to be part of the oppressed, we admire, we live in a culture that admires strength, that admires success, that admires what looks like it's shiny If we can glorify it, that's what we want to associate ourselves with. If it looks weak, if it looks decrepit, if it looks vulnerable... And also that idea that, oh, no, this person will want something from me. They might end up depending on me or they might need me for something. Those are the kinds of things that make people, unfortunately, very uncomfortable. So it is a combination of factors. And so, Mm. I mean, it's something that we have to keep trying to address. Hence, there is a Disability Awareness Month, as you highlighted, from Mm. the 3rd of November to the 3rd of December and so on. So we we as people with disability, but at the same time, it's almost like we're being gaslighted Mm. because we're the ones who have to deal with We have to deal with the ignorance. We have to deal with the attitudinal barriers. Mm. But, well, it's up to us. You know, Mm. we the 15, hashtag all of that. We we are the ones who have to deal with it.
1: Right. Very briefly, because we're going to just take an ad break. Your experience with stigma.
2: Fortunately, I haven't been stigmatized. Uh, I'm a very outspoken person. I I have a very public personality. So from a very young age, I was taught to push back. I was raised to push back against anything that might seem and sound to be stigmatizing. So I, I, I would be lying that mm. I have a, an odd experience of being stigmatized, but I do accept that there is that collective ignorance here and there yeah. that we live to dispel now and again.
1: Uh, to to be fair, Makhiba, I think, is somebody who would push back. But that doesn't stop me or the next person from showing uh, my discomfort around you. What do you do when when, when people, they might not verbalize it, they might not bully your homozo, but when people look at you in a particularly odd way? That awkwardness. I
2: I have grown to embrace that there be a different look, especially with children. I explain and encourage parents to Explain that there's nothing odd with me, but when it's an adult that does that, 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 I tend to be very ugly with them because I, I, at this point in our lives, we expect that people should know that there ought to be those that mm. are differently abled. Mm.
1: Okay, it's 11 54 in conversation with Machiba Mollo and Homo Getting you what you need to know. Power Talk, weekdays 9 a.m. to noon on Power 98.7. Well, we've just come out of an international commemoration of International Disabilities Awareness Month. And we thought, no, we'll carry it through because we really need to talk about it. One, because often when in South Africa, we talk about people living with disabilities. We count them in the vulnerable sector where you hear about a ministry of women, children and people with disabilities. And it's always a throwaway and um An afterthought. So that's the first problem that we're dealing with. Um, The second issue is infrastructure. Does the infrastructure, how we build our cities, does it take into cognizance that there are people who need universal access, all of us, not just the privileged, able-bodied? Because let me tell you, to wake up from your bed in the morning and just walk to the bathroom is a privilege. And there are many people for whom it is a struggle, and we have to consider some of those physical limitations in the infrastructure, lifts. You know, um, when we cross the road, I know in some countries there's a there's a sign that tells you time to cross the road, stop, etc. Do we build in that way? Our schooling system, why are there separate schools for people living with disabilities? I mean, somebody's differently abled. They not necessarily uh, have a cognition problem. So why should there be a separate schooling stream? For people living with disabilities. And then, of course, this issue of prejudice and stigma. Because you don't know what it is, because you fear it, you start to judge it. And as Homozo says, people can be ugly around people living with disabilities. So we're just hearing from those who are differently abled and the extraordinary work that they do in the public sector. Homozo works as a training coordinator at TransNet, and Mahiba Mollo works as an independent ESG consultant, and she's a commissioner for the National Planning Commission. And she used to be an executive at the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. A blind girl. So those are things we really need to be aware of. Maghiba, I want to draw on your collective career experience. Because you work in this specialized field of investing, environment, society, and governance. Everybody's talking sustainability. Right now, everybody's in Dubai thinking about how to save the planet, how to create shared prosperity. But you worked in this field with top, top companies big taxpayers big employers in the country and you were saying to them you need to think about investing in an impactful way to what extent did your being differently abled really give you an advantage if i can call it that or a different perspective when it comes to the field of investments
0: yeah you know i think that it, it it was useful in the sense that it really gave Um, companies, particularly the listed companies that we were working with at the time. Um, I started at the JSC in 2006, and we were working on what was called then the Socially Responsible Investment Index, the SRI, and we were already transitioning at the time. We were already talking transition, so for us, the just transition didn't just start now with, Mm. with this huge, huge talk around climate change, and I guess out of our our uh, our movement or our advance our advancement of sustainability and ESG and and responsible investing then came an awareness of diversity and inclusion and mm-hmm. integration and and that's become a real thing now. I mean, you go to any company's annual report and there's a segment on diversity and inclusion. So I think it definitely helped the fact that we were already at a at a at a pretty adva- pretty advanced stage in the discourse of of, of ESG. Mm. We were already talking about um, encompassing all people we were talking about shared value creation, yeah. leaving no one behind, um, as, as, as the UN proclaims. So I, I think it definitely helped. Um, mm. It has certainly helped in my role, I think, uh, as, a, a, as an ESG practitioner to be able to mm. talk about the impact of climate change people with disabilities Mm. i mean i attended a disability conference uh, a week ago where we were looking at the impact of climate change on people with albinism who's Mm. talking about that Mm. there hasn't been any focus on the impact of 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 climate change on people living with disabilities let alone people with Mm. with albinism can you imagine the rising Mm. temperatures and the Mm. severity of the impact on people with albinism Mm. where people with disabilities are provided uh, access to public housing, for mm. example. Of course, people, will, will because we are the most vulnerable in society, will be given these houses next to wetlands and so on. I mean, how is that going to impact mm. people with disabilities when there's, when there's flooding and, and, mm. and so on? So there are some really important discussions that need to continue. We need to uh, continue to right. shine a light. Policies, regulations need to incorporate okay. people with disabilities at, at varying uh, yeah. degrees. And, homotsu
1: your views on, you know, you work for Transnet, which is a state-owned uh, entity. So surely, because the government is the shareholder and the government uh, has prioritized or has programs for people living with disabilities, allocations each year, surely that mindset exists
2: in a public organization? Yes, it does exist. It would be foolish of me not to acknowledge the fact that there's been great strides that have been, uh, have been made over the years in profiling the inclusion of persons with disabilities is concerned. But there's still a lot of ground to be covered, mm. especially in terms of looking in terms of uh, the employment of persons with disabilities mm. within the managerial roles. Those are some of the things that we are still hustling with to ask questions as to whether what exactly limits a person with a disability from becoming mm-hmm. a manager? Mm-hmm. But could relate to I see the challenge. I just want to correct something. Schools for special, uh, for learners special educational mm-hmm. needs, do not provide a different curriculum. Mm-hmm. It is just the design of, of the schools and the size of offer in order to manage the different limitations that. Tell people learners what to come
1: Okay, fair fair enough. I stand corrected. So it's just a different facility to make it easier, but not a different quality of education. Um, Absolutely. I I stand to be corrected. Finally, Mahib, I'm going to give you the last word. You are a commissioner in the National Planning Commission. So in other words, you sit there looking at the government's milestones, you can advise the president and his team, and you can impact policy. What do you think still needs to be done in South Africa to really amplify the voice of people living with disabilities and to create a more equitable society in South Africa?
0: Yeah, There's still a great deal that needs to be done. Yes, I am fortunate to be able to have the ear of the president through the commission, and um, we had uh, we had an engagement with him in august where i did uh use my voice to to essentially shine a light on the continued struggle that people with disabilities face partic- particularly children and um, the uh the president has you know he has a special focus on on people with with, with disabilities um but there is no real legislation at the moment there isn't a, there isn't a, there isn't an act there is a white paper Um, But, you know, it's being implemented very, very slowly at snail's pace. And, you know, it's also important that the the budget considers these policies for people with disabilities and service delivery for people with disabilities. It is very important that we included in the budgeting process because otherwise Mm -hmm. we're not going to get anywhere.
1: I want to thank you for your time and I want to thank you for indulging us this morning. Please, South Africans, let's continue these quality conversations going. It doesn't need to be in International Disabilities Awareness Month. It doesn't have to be on Power Talk. We should carry on talking about our compatriots who give so much to the country and yet we give them such little recognition. Um, These are stellar, stellar South Africans and we have to recognize what they do despite the limitations we present them. With how we build, how we judge, what we don't know. Mahiba Molo, an independent ESG consultant, a commissioner in the National Planning Commission. It's great to talk to you as a guest on Power Talk, uh, a coordinator at Transnet. And thank you all for your time. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.